brothers and sisters. We like to welcome you to the After Church Podcast. Thank you, Jesus. gentlemen we're back we're back it's josh and drew with the after church podcast the after church podcast <laughs> i don't know i try to add That's, some flair to that no let's no. just stick with the theme song we have oh and um, cue <laughs> <laughs> i wish we were better at editing yeah <laughs> <laughs> so today we don't have a guest Womp womp. Hmm. Looks like you're just stuck with just us. Boring old us. Yeah. Golly. We we are spoiling all of you <laughs> by having guests on all the time. Yeah. So we figure we'd show you who's boss again. <laughs> like we're the stars. Yeah. Come on, guys. It's the After Church Podcast with Josh and Drew, not plus guest. <laughs> <laughs> or I could add that in the title. I don't know. We'll we'll put a poll out there um, in Twitter. Let mm-hmm. us know. At um, actually, we don't have a Twitter, so. Oh. Better we get on your that. Opinion on this. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Twitter has turned into just a cesspool, anyways. I'm glad I never got into that. Like from what I hear with Twitter, I, I don't know what the appeal is. To be honest, I think you get some of the same effect. I mean, in fact, what I see is. On Instagram and Facebook, people like take screenshots of Twitter and then import it over. <laughs> so it's like, why not just implement that in Facebook and Instagram? Why do you need a third account with some other site? I don't mm-hmm. it, it's weird because on one hand, it values pithy and concise, you know, speaking. But then you have people trying to argue certain points and I'm like you can't do that in what what is it now uh, 256 characters is that what it is now? I think it is that sounds about right I was like some of these things you have to sp- write pages on yeah. to be coherent and to not um, be misconstrued or anything which everybody misconstrues everybody on Twitter Yeah, it's like you know we've, we talked about this before texting where Nobody knows if you're being sarcastic or not. And yeah. So they try to limit like all the world's problems and philosophy into 256 characters. And that's why uh-huh. society is the way it is right now. Because <laughs> everyone bases their like livelihood and morality on, you know, some celebrity's tweet. I, I do. I do like the mean tweets on, on Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> that's pretty clever. Yeah. Kind of like jab at yourself. Mm-hmm. That's pretty funny. I didn't realize that 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 um, 
that phenomenon came from Twitter. The whole um, like poking fun at yourself, but then um, like the character limitation. I didn't realize that that came from Twitter, like people complaining about that. Um, and then also when people are recounting what other people said, that's always within like chains of tweets. And then you have to like see like continue on next tweet or like one of 12. It's like, so what you're saying is you need a blog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, like I can't stand seeing gigantic Twitter threads. Yeah. I'm just like, this is the wrong platform for that. Yeah. Just yeah, exactly. Just write a blog, write write a few pages, yeah. see if you can get get on a publication or something. Yeah. Just I really don't understand it, but yeah. I don't know. I, I'm I'm not a big fan of it either. Yeah. And then I've had to take Facebook off my phone. I didn't delete my account. I just had to take it off my phone because yeah. it's just become just a uh, just a um, mosh pit of ads and. Oh yeah. Videos and memes. It's it has nothing to do with like looking to see what my friends are doing anymore. Yeah. That's why I like Instagram so much more cuz I think they captured that where you're actually tuning into people's lives and you're not so much getting bombarded with advertisements and, you know, all kinds of like weird news pieces that people post and mm-hmm. You know, articles from news organizations I've never heard of. Mm-hmm. It's like the Herald Times, New Zealand states, you know, Kiwis are on the decline. Like, why do I need to see this this morning? And then, like, how men are responsible. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> White men are responsible yeah. somehow. Yeah. Um, I, I like Instagram because I feel like I can uh, sort of be myself on it. I can yeah. really goof off. Mm-hmm. Um it actually took me a while to get into the stories. I was like, for the longest time, I was like, nah, I'm not into that. Like, I don't see any point. And then I got into it, and I was like, okay, I, I could really um, be as aesthetic or as goofy as I want to be. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so sometimes, like, I, I put some goofy sagas on my stories. Yeah. Like, if if I was if I called them. Like if if I was in charge of naming it, I would call it sagas. <laughs> like Josh's sagas. The sagas. Yeah. The saga continues. That's how you yeah. like tease like the next week. <laughs> like uh, uh, yesterday, I was able to scare my dad while he was asleep, <laughs> and uh, my dad he he probably has countless videos on his phone <laughs> of him scaring me. Yeah. Uh, some that he could easily post on the internet, some that are inadvisable to post on the internet. Um, <laughs> just for the sake of, you know, maintaining whatever reputation I have. Yeah. Um, That's funny. But you know, he just like does that. Like, I would be in my room, like, working or studying for something, and I have kind of my music blaring, because I like immersed. I like being immersed in sound. Uh-huh. It kind of gets me in the zone. And uh, he would just sneak up on me, and I would just look back, and he's right there with his phone, and I always have a, like, physical response to it, like, jumping or, yeah, or uh, you know, swiping at his phone, or, and I'm all, I always call on the name of Jesus, too, when he scares me. Oh. I guess 
I guess my soul is okay. <laughs> you need that every once in a while to, mm-hmm. to kind of kind of gauge where your soul's at. Exactly. Yeah. Like, who are you calling on in your time mm-hmm. of need? Mm-hmm. You know, when someone jumps around the corner, like, Jesus. That's right. Mm-hmm. Hallelujah. That's right. <laughs> Our relationship is solid. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think that's what we need. It's like I've seen enough of this on YouTube. Um, just like whole careers that are built on like jump scares and people like prank each other. Mm-hmm. It's like it should be like a Christian prank mm-hmm. uh, YouTube channel. That could be your you and your dad <laughs> just pranking each other. <laughs> Man, I've, I've tried out the whole YouTube account thing, like putting some of my videos, some of my like spoofs or whatever or mm-hmm songs and or piano playing that I do there's it's very unlikely that anybody like the likelihood of someone going viral ironically isn't that high um and when the people do go viral like they keep posting stuff and then nobody cares about what else they post yeah. it's just that one video or one or two videos very short-lived careers and so many people aspire to it mm-hmm. i think that's what's so funny i read a um i read a story about uh remember that lady with the uh um chewbacca mask yeah that, that tried it on was on ellen started like you know charging people for autographs or whatever and ma- made some money off of it and then now nobody nobody knows where she is yeah it's just that fickle yeah I mean, there are some people that capitalize on their fame, um, but really that shouldn't be anyone's goal. And I think that's a problem with YouTube right now. I think a lot of people talked about that, that um, you know, people try to join the platform and millions upon millions of people are doing this, hoping to be that next star and make money from it. You know, Whenever they added the monetization aspect of it, I think it detracted from people's creativity and people started trying to manipulate the system. Like, how do I make this generate money for me? And so there's this like weird whole, you know, section of YouTube that's just these videos that are just, you know, people trying to piece together what people want. Mm -hmm. So it's like weird pranks, that doesn't work. Okay, let me go ahead and put on a video of me drinking water for 20 hours, you know, and Mm -hmm. then switching to the next video, I'm eating it, you know, the hottest pepper on earth. And Mm -hmm. it's like, it's all hopes to, gain you know a uh, a career mm-hmm. and before the earlier youtube community was like i just want to make something that's entertaining exactly and fun you know there's no pressure back then but yeah. when you when you monetize something the the pressure is on and then yeah. and then you kind of lose the artistic creativity and you become uh, m- more mindful of like industry and like okay well what does the audience want not what do I want to put out there? What do I think is cool or funny or whatever? But now people are so pressured with monetization and and YouTube has become so commercialized where you have channels that specialize in making compilations of other people's videos. And they're making money. And they're making, because it's just based off views. There's this weird thing. So there's this, um, this individual, he did a TED Talk very revealing video about how that there's this um, like dark side of YouTube that's emerged with children's videos. I don't know if you've heard of this, but so like there's this popular video that's become a meme. 
I don't know if you've seen this, um, the Johnny Johnny, um, like it's a weird animated music video, I guess, of this little kid called Johnny. And the whole premise of the story is that he's eating sugar and his dad catches him and asks him if he's lying about it. And it's this whole song. It's like this weird, you feel really uncomfortable watching it. Right, and somehow it's amassed like millions upon millions of views, and it doesn't make any sense. It's not attributed to any like known animation studio. It's not like, you know, DreamWorks or Pixar. It's just some guy out of his basement. I don't know where it came from. Proportions are weird. It's just a scary video, but uh, it's drawn so much attention to it. And the guy in the um, TED talk, he basically attributed this phenomenon on people that have manipulated the YouTube algorithm to uh, generate videos based off of what people most like about it, like about videos they've seen in the past. And so they just jam pack it all into one thing. So it's like, okay, they like colors, right? They like musical tunes. They like videos that are only about this long, like two to three minutes long. Um, and then so after a couple of years of doing that, the algorithm will produce a video that doesn't make sense for entertainment value, but based off of, you know, psychological manipulation, people are just going to gravitate towards it. So you have these weird, unusual videos that exist solely for the purpose of making, getting views. Um, but the, the sad part of it and the, 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 the dark side of it is that kids are the ones that are generating those clicks. So they're molding the algorithm to make new videos based off what they like. And it just becomes this incoherent mess where you have like, one of the examples they showed was Elsa dancing with Spider-Man and, um, and it gets into like some creepy territory and there's no one really regulating this. YouTube is now just getting catching wind of it. So, you know, who knows what kids are getting a hold of on YouTube now and there's no like rating system like there is with traditional media so they can start on a video of like oh you know Elsa and Frozen it was very popular and then two hours later they're in some weird animated movie that who knows who the author was and uh, there's no like moral point you know there's n there's nothing to it's just mindless yeah it's just and if you go far enough down that uh, rabbit hole you get into like really scary videos and kids really shouldn't be going that far so i don't i, I discourage it you know like i don't i don't think parents should be allowing their kids to um independently manage their youtube watching like they really shouldn't even be on youtube as a platform mm -hmm. i think that's i don't know that's my opinion no i'm i, I would I would agree with that. I have like a four-year-old niece who can navigate Hulu and Netflix and and navigate smart tablets and phones. Yeah. Like uh, us adults. And it it's crazy to think about these kids being raised with the technology. Um you know, I I mean, I'm sure there'll be studies coming out in a decade or so talking about how it affects you know, the youth's development growing up with that kind of technology. Um, but 
it is concerning, you know, and uh, I've always find myself sort of being idealistic where I'm like, I don't think a kid, I don't think you should throw an iPad in front of a kid to get them to behave, right, or in public. Yeah. And then, and then you realize, well, the realistic thing is a tablet is the best thing, is super, it's, it's good at doing that. Yeah. It just put getting a kid's attention where they can be quiet in a restaurant. Yeah. And like if it wasn't if it didn't do a good job at that, parents wouldn't use it. You know what I mean? But the fact okay. is is that it gets the job done. Yeah. I think people are just quick to jump on seeing it as a negative. Um because it's it's new and it it just based off of like how you emotionally look at that situation you kind of it seems like um devoid of um relationship mm-hmm. right it's like oh uh, you're 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 setting your your kid aside to mm-hmm. mindlessly drone on some you know video dribble um so that makes you a bad parent right but like as soon as you get any technical technological advances or you know some new cultural norm that helps parents people jump on that and no one demonizes that, you know, like the advent of daycare, you know, the, I mean, that wasn't always the case, right? Like we didn't always have that in modern day society. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there was a point where that wasn't like an, the norm mm-hmm. where you could go to a facility and enroll your child, you know? Um, and no one's looking at that like, Oh, well, you know, child should always be with his parent. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think there are dangers in, you know, allowing children to have access to media. Um, But if you can control it, which I think, you know, ought to be the case, then I I don't think there's any inherent danger there. Um, That's the problem, though, I think. I think most people are are too, I don't want to say this and sound condescending, but like too lazy to, (laughs) to manage media for their children. Um, and that's a thing that, you know, I'm not a parent, you know, and one day when I become a parent, I want to hope that I can, you know, see these kind of challenges and and be able to rise to the, Mm -hmm. you know, the ability to, to, to manage them well for my kids. But, um, but I, I could hear the parents now, Drew, it was like, Oh, just wait and see. Yeah. Just wait and see, you know, and like. I think some parents could be lazy, just like anybody can be lazy with certain things, certain responsibilities. But I think parents, um, they try to put their trust in institutions yeah, like school, you know. And, I mean, think just think of the whole concept of school, like sending your kids somewhere for eight hours a day. Yeah. Like, the school is literally parenting your child for a third of their childhood. Um, that that takes quite a bit of trust on the biological parents' part. Yeah. <laughs> or like the the people actually trying to raise them from home. But it, it just seems like parenthood is becoming dispersed. Um, it seems like society's trending in a direction to where yeah. um, responsibility is being sort of um, spread out yeah. and not just centered on mom and dad 
Yeah. You know you know what I mean? Yeah. Exactly. Well, something I thought that was interesting about um, how do we put our trust in all these different institutions, I think. And I want to retract a statement, you know, because I know I, was, I probably was condescending and calling parents lazy, but I think we have to rely on these systems. Mm-hmm. You know, these systems are all put in place and tested by time. I mean, there's a, there's a reason why we trust our children to um, educational institutions mm-hmm. because there's a benefit, you know what I mean? Um, not to say that you should solely rely on mm-hmm. the educational system to develop a, a, a child. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some things that you need to instill in them as you know biological parents. But um, I think the problem with media, with this current generation, is that technology has advanced so quickly that parents haven't gotten an opportunity to adapt yet. I think we're getting to that point now where there's a lot of controls on systems. But I remember, you know, when things were just being introduced into the home, like the whole um, concept of um, video game as a recreational thing. Mm -hmm. It used to be video games were um, isolated to like arcades, Mm -hmm. right? So it was like a treat for children. Mm -hmm. You would go somewhere to do it. Right. And so there was obviously no issues with parents saying, hey, you know, this Friday we'll go to the arcade. But now that these game manufacturers have this whole industry built around constantly gaming, you have to always be on your system. Parents haven't had enough time to adapt and change their parenting styles. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a problem. Like the whole thing going back to the kid on his iPad, like it works, but we haven't really thought through the whole process of like what's the impact of, we don't know the long-term consequences. Right. Well, we're still discovering that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why, like, new parents now have a little bit more experience um, today mm-hmm. seeing the ramifications of, like, some kids that have grown up exclusively on, mm-hmm. you know, baby Einstein nonstop mm-hmm. 24 hours a day. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. does that really have positive benefits? And so when you become a parent... You know, when I become a parent one day, I have those things in the back of my mind and thinking, well, how off, how much do I want to allow my child to consume media? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that gives me a different perspective compared to my parents, you know, and that generation that like that wasn't a common thing. You know, I actually I think I was I'm probably part of the generation being a millennial that was in the transition where kids pastimes were experienced outside mm-hmm. like you actually played outside you mm-hmm. rode bikes with friends mm-hmm. that's so uncommon now yes and i kind of recall a transition there like i remember shooting hoops with some neighbor kids and yeah and, but then it, it just got to the point where we were just all gaming and then come uh, like i feel like when i was in elementary school i did more outside stuff yeah um me, me and my friend, uh, we we went through this skateboard stage, but we n- didn't really <laughs> skateboard. We would throw, we would just find a railing, grab a skateboard, slide it down the rail, and, and, and just like tell each other afterwards. It was like, yeah, we grinded, bro. <laughs> <laughs> just like Tony Hawk. And, and we had uh, we had those uh, oh, 
what are those called? Uh, Little uh, tech decks. Yeah, tech decks with your, where you control it with your fingers and stuff <laughs> like that. And then we had those Heelys, mm-hmm. where, where, and we were just skating around all over the place. Uh, it was more outside when I was in elementary school. Come junior high, you know, that's when I started just staying at home, yeah. doing stuff, uh, like playing games. Like, I, I played video games pretty much all the time when I was in middle school. Yeah. Um, and, and that was sort of my awkward stage anyways, and so that kind of makes sense. Yeah. So allowed me to isolate and be at home. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think a lot of people use that as a um, as a means to, to kind of protect themselves from, um, you know, things that they face. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's what the video game industry has really capitalized on mm-hmm. um, one this new um, phenomenon of parents closely guarding their children because um, yeah that's that's Helicopter completely parenting. gone now like no no parent uh, allows their children to go play outside like outside of their yard I remember there was a transition because it was probably for me into my preteens when I used to just regularly go throughout the neighborhood and uh, my parents didn't have any qualms with it. They're like, go ahead and have fun. Mm-hmm. And then there was a point where my mother was like, you can only play as far as the front yard. Like as long as I could see you from a window and I need you in at a certain time. Mm-hmm. Also don't go out without a cell phone and you know, and then it just got to a point where it was just more convenient to mm-hmm. be at home. Mm-hmm. And so kids got less introduced to being in, you know, social situations, exercising, you know, normal social behavior. And so it's bred this new culture where it's like everything happens behind a screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, looking back in my high school years, maybe even late middle school, I realized, wow, like I could have done a whole lot. <laughs> like I, I would walk home. I could have just gone anywhere. Yeah. Like my parents, I would have gotten away with a ton of stuff. Just looking back, because I, they didn't get home till six or whatever, six or seven. I, yeah. I got out of school at like three or four. I could have, I could have hung out with people. I could have actually. Yeah. And like now I'm doing that, uh, you know. I feel like starting in college, I became more apt to hang out with people out, hang out with my classmates outside of class. Yeah. Um. I don't know. A lot of stuff changed. Um, I do want to address something real quick, though, because yes, we these past few minutes we were talking about parenting. All right. <laughs> yeah. No, neither of us are parents, but we're coming. We do think about these things, right? Because yeah. we intend to be parents. Uh, that is our life goal. And so it is okay for us to think about this stuff yeah. regardless of whether or not we have kids. Yeah. Like my lack of experience doesn't disqualify me from being able to use my brain yeah. and think and ponder on this stuff. Yeah. So I kind of just want to <laughs> stress that. And, and we're not, we haven't planned anything we're talking about. We're just, we're just freestyling. Yeah. Here. <laughs> I don't know even know how we got here, but I mean, so, I- if you're offended by 
two young guys who want to be parents talking about what they want to do as parents, then sorry. Yeah. And the reason I think about <laughs> it is I am hugely terrified of how I'll be as a parent one day. Exactly. You know, I want to be the awesome dad. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to be a respected dad. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's all these things that we want as parents. And so, I mean, I think it's natural. I think a lot mm-hmm. of people do this before they have children. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think we're disqualified because we don't have children. Because I, I hear that all the time. I do. I hear that and It's all like, the time. oh, you don't know until oh. you have your own. And it's like... Yeah. Well, maybe that's true, but like you know, I still want to put myself in a in a in a position to put to to rear up my child in the best possible situation, you know, and not just kind of like mm-hmm. you know freestyle it. Once you know, I, yeah, we'll figure it out as we go along. There's no book on parenting. It's like I think you can be some level prepared. Uh, uh, there are books on parenting. No, <laughs> oh, well, if you want to be, <laughs> you know exact yes but i'm pretty sure there's not like a general consensus mm-hmm. on like why parenting. why why even read books yeah why even learn any lessons from somebody else yeah books are boring right <laughs> like why why do i want to read a, a non-fiction book that an expert wrote on something well why don't you just uh do it yourself and then get your own experiences and then learn from them no i'd rather learn from somebody else so yeah. i don't have to deal with all the suffering no, like, I would much rather learn from somebody else. And so I look at other parents, and I'm observing, and I, without judging, ju- judgment and observing are different things. Yeah. You know, I, I just, I want to be a good parent. I look at myself in the mirror. I, I see stuff that I've dealt with as a kid and as an adolescent. And I'm like, okay, how can I? make sure or do my best to make sure my kids don't have to deal with the same stuff. Yeah. And how can I um, help my kids get to a better, uh, be at a better stage in life or be uh, better positioned when they're 24, better than the way I am now at age 24. I think ideally that's what most people aim for. I think there's there's a lot more good parents in this world than we like to give credit for. And I think a lot of young people that go into um, parenthood all have the same goal. All the generations be- before us, I think, have all had the same thoughts that I want to improve um, the life of my child and position them in a place where they don't have to experience the things that I experienced, right? And I heard that from my parents a lot, you know. And I'm so grateful for the places, uh, the things that they've done to, to get me to the place where I am as an adult today, right? Because they obviously had those same thoughts that I'm having for about my children. But I think it's, it's, a, it's a successive thing. Like one generation overcomes the hurdles of the, pri- the prior generation and that places the next generation at a better place. So you're like at this staircase mm-hmm. where you're constantly improving. And I think that's the goal is to have that mindset to mm-hmm. improve i think what happens though is people get stagnant culturally and then they remain at this you know they remain in a cycle where there's no intent to improve anymore mm-hmm. where they're content to just like live out life 
you know, in this mold. Do you also kind of see uh, a sort of new reason, not necessarily new, I think it's happened in the course of history several times, but in our society today, a sort of resentment for the generation before us. Yeah. You know, you're like we're seeing it with a bunch of youth, and it's like the the generation, the baby boomers got us here. Like, they're the reason why the economy sucks, or uh, they voted in Trump, or, you know, everybody's mad at the baby boomers. And we're kind of taking on an attitude of, or I wouldn't say we, because I don't, but I've noticed people take on the attitude of, holding resentment towards their previous generation instead of taking the attitude of, okay, well, what can I control? How can I make my next generation better than mine? How, how do I make sure the, ne- the next generation that comes after me doesn't see me the same way I see the baby boomers? Um, yeah. Ooh, whoops. Exactly. Um, I, I, I probably will butcher the quote but I remember someone saying that every generation sees themselves as um, smarter than the previous generation, but wiser than the n- the, the newer generation, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, that's the thing. It's like we can't be right on all fronts. What is the and difference between smart and wise? Oh, mm. knowledge versus wisdom. Mm. I don't know. You have the answer to that? <laughs> it, yeah. Well, I, I've heard, I've also heard this quote. I can't remember if it was um, Ben Franklin who said it or or like Churchill that said it, where um, the youth have a heart but no brain, and then uh, the old have a brain but no heart. And that's just yeah, kind of like a generalization uh, of, you know, where we're at and stuff like that. Or like old people have become jaded. And so but that, that's kind of a gross generalization. Though, but Come on, Josh. Do you really resent, resent your elders? No. <laughs> <laughs> Do you resent them that much? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, I think... I think if we're looking at the church, one thing that I wish the elders did was um, I wish the generation before my parents' generation taught my parents' generation, like, why we do stuff instead of just telling them, just do it, because I said so. Yeah. Because I think we've seen a lot of um, people in our parents' generation be like, and then when they try to go to teach us, right? It was like, oh, I don't know why. I just did what I was told. Yeah. You know, and then our generation is asking why now. And yeah. uh, and when there's some people that don't have the answer to that, then um, people disregard um, the truths that have been taught to them. Well, they take it as a grounds for like, well, if you don't have the answer, then that must undermine everything about the mm-hmm. institution or everything about your doctrine, right? Mm-hmm. And so they just abandon it. Mm-hmm. 
and I think it's so sad that yes I, I wish that we had more of the explanation part of it and mm -hmm. the teaching um, I think there probably was a need in their generation for it to just be in, like enforced right right and those are different congregations right yeah so I, I can't really judge the pastors of that time yeah on, on why they decided to ban TVs and or why they made certain decisions and laid out certain standards yeah. in that time I can't judge that yeah well there's this like common and I think this is an innocent enough of a um, analogy that kind of was common in the church and I think it's probably common in a lot of denominations but like the adoption of the electric guitar <laughs> right that was not always a um, a welcome thing in the church kind of like connected to rock and roll culture mm -hmm. until like a lot of the early church rejected it like this doesn't belong in the church mm -hmm. but you no know, church today y i i imagine like the vast majority of churches today even question uh you know electric guitar in their mm -hmm. church you they know? love it they love it you know and, mm -hmm. it, and it's like vastly widened christian music by the inclusion of that and it's changed the whole landscape of worship music right mm -hmm. so the g electric guitar inherently isn't bad um but when the when the church at the time was combating the electric guitar there was a lot of heavy connotation on incorporating it right it took the church several several decades before it adopted it when it was already like ingrained in, in pop culture around it mm -hmm. so i can imagine that there are many churches that had to enforce that because just welcomingly like you know casually welcoming welcoming it into the church had implications right that they don't have today mm -hmm. you know i think we could look at the electric guitar pretty innocently today now um, but back then that wasn't the case and so you have a generation of people that grew up under that kind of mindset and therefore when they get older you know it has less relevance mm -hmm. today and and when you if you try to enforce that to you know a young person today like you know you should not be playing with an electric mm -hmm. guitar they're not going to understand what you mean mm -hmm. um i think what people should be teaching instead is as instead of focusing on a certain object teach about the uh the implications of engaging in a certain activity mm -hmm. activity why that is wrong and not necessarily the object mm -hmm. i think it's easier to put an object on a poster and then say this is the enemy right because mm -hmm. um, it, it it makes directing and giving instructions so much easier when you could just kind of like outlaw a thing but the problem is it's not the thing you know i think i was just talking to um our young people the other day in um, our youth group and I was talking about how that like smartphones have become so attached to us it's become like ingrained to our very being mm -hmm. and we're someone did like a study what's that we're, we're literal androids yeah you know like you they I, they did a study that like teens like unlock their phone like every mm -hmm. I forget how often but it's it's like a mind-boggling amount, mm -hmm. and just for inane reasons, just because they have to. 
Yeah. I, I was having a discussion because there's a, a a country in Europe decided to implement like putting chips into people's skin and like to help them like scan their hand across something so they could buy stuff and then everybody's like, Oh my god, mark of the beast or whatever. And I'm just like, Well, sure the main difference is it's in your skin, right? But as far as functionally, what is the difference between that and having a smartphone in our pockets yeah. at all times? Yeah. It's not in our skin, but it's in our pants. Yeah. I think that's where people draw the line. It's like, I, I, I don't want it implanted yeah. to the back of my skull. That's where I draw the line. It's like a lot of scientists are already using the smartphone as like augmented memory. Mm-hmm. Like, Imagine that in the future, people were going to fuse, you know, hard drive space on your brain to expand your memory. That's already happening. Is the only the only difference is it's not infused to your head, mm-hmm. right? But who doesn't use their phone to Google facts they never knew, right? Mm-hmm. So the what what's fusing it to your brain going to do? Like save you a couple milliseconds of having to type it in. You just have to mm-hmm. think it now. Um, so the the milliseconds add up though. Well, true. Yeah. Well, then we could all feign being like super smart <laughs> when we're all really just connected to some like really large database. Um, I think that's kind of what's happening now. W- you know, now that Google's so readily available. I think I feel like knowledge would be so taken for granted because everybody would have it. That's what's happening. That's right what's now, happening dude. now. <laughs> um, to kind of take a couple steps back as you're talking about um, sort of music and how. Uh, it took the church a while to kind of implement some new things. Uh, something that came to my mind was like, well, it depends on where the innovation happened. Yeah. So like, for example, the innovation on the music uh, choir. Okay, where did that come from? That came from church, right? Yeah. And then now sometimes secular artists try to use it, you know, and nobody's, nobody's complaining, oh, those secular artists are becoming Christian, because they're instituting choirs, but although sometimes they take on lyrics and yeah. that are churchy, and people are like, "What are y'all Christian now?" Whatever. Yeah. But the problem that the church has in reacting to culture and and making sure they don't uh, they're not perceived as walking in lockstep with culture by by instituting guitar and TV and stuff like that is because the innovation is happening outside of the church. Like, how can the church be ahead of the curve? Like, what if a, a Christian dude, a Christian worship leader invented the electric guitar? Yeah. And then the churches were the first ones that used electric guitars. And then the rockers were like, hey, that's a good instrument. Let's use it. And then, well, well they would have been appropriating church culture, I guess. Yeah. But it, but it's always the other way around because the innovation is always happening outside of the church. Now, why is innovation always happening outside of the church? Yeah. And I, I don't know if there's an – and probably there's a lot of hypotheses as to why. Mm-hmm. But it shouldn't be the case. Mm-hmm. I think that's like um, there's a lot of people that are in different fields of study mm-hmm. that um, – there's this whole thing, I don't know if you heard of like um, musicians, for instance, mm-hmm. Christian musicians. There was a time where, um, and these are like the really contemporary, like K-Lovey 
type. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Caleb, if you're listening. Actually, I, not really. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, these artists that are kind of like on the on the fringe, you know, between secular music and mm-hmm. Christian music, right? And they, um, they're just kind of like positive. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they used to say was, you know, <clears throat> I'm not a Christian artist. I'm an artist that happens to be Christian, right? As, as such as like saying like a plumber is not like a Christian plumber, but he's a plumber that happens to be a Christian, right? So I think this identity thing is kind of what mm-hmm. has hurt um, innovation is that, you know, people aren't identifying in Christian in every aspect of their lives. They put Christian on a title um, and then think that kind of like forgives their whole lifestyle, right? But like there's a, there's a scripture that Paul says that in him I live and move and have my being. Like he doesn't exclude any part of his life from being Christ-like. So that if you happen to be a Christian who is an engineer, right, you can use your engineering knowledge to the glory of God. Mm-hmm. That's where innovation comes from. Mm-hmm. And I think the problem is a lot of people look at industry and they, they kind of like, well, I don't want to be an engineer because that might, um, mm-hmm. you know, how can I really be a good Christian if I, if I pursue like the STEM uh, studies, field of studies, mm-hmm. right? Like I really want to be a Christian, so I want to kind of, you know, become a monk and go to Tibet uh, and, you know, study theology. Right. And if God's called you to do those things, absolutely pursue that. Mm-hmm. But what we also need, too, is we need people that are just common, everyday people that like, hey, I'm a computer scientist, but I am Christian first. Mm-hmm. So every innovation that I come up with um, as a cr- computer scientist, it's fueled by the, 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 the premise that I am I'm first a Christian and therefore what I do glorifies God. You know, like, uh, what's the scripture say that um, uh, and all and with and everything that I do, uh, let it glorify God. Yes, you know um, all the works I do with my hands, let it glorify God. Uh, mm-hmm. Terribly uh, butchered that verse, but um, the concept still stands, right? And I, I think people have a hard time kind of reconciling those two things. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to be a really good Christian, then that inevitably means you're going to be, mm-hmm. you know, um, an evangelist mm-hmm. or a preacher. And, you know, very well, God could be calling you to that, but also God could be calling you to be the next, mm-hmm. you know, Silicon Valley mm-hmm. um, entrepreneur, mm-hmm. but just also happens to be a Christian. Yeah. And then there's some, there have been some innovations that, occur in the church public speaking yeah public speaking styles um the reason why martin luther king was the kind of speaker he was was because he was a minister and he preached that's where he got his experience and the way and you could see how uh public uh leaders and and uh organizers how they try to speak you know sometimes they try to follow the mold of martin luther king you know, and so they sound kind of preachy. Well, that's because the innovation occurred in the church, right? Um, I think I'm seeing a lot of 
uh, graphic innovation, um, just as far as presentation goes. Yeah. I, I think I'm seeing that innovation starting in the church because I don't really see what other kind of avenue where that would happen where you see uh, graphic design and um, a lot of um, production innovation too. Um, yeah. Now, I mean, that's we could debate whether that's even necessary, but but the fact is that that's happening. Um, yeah. And then you have um, like how a service is organized and and um, tell me this: is there? Because I know there's been a a jump in audio engineering in the church. Mm-hmm. Did that s- did that innovation occur in the church, or did that occur outside of it? And then the church was like, "Hey, okay, let's. H- how do we get it to where that it's like, you know, it was at you know the concert over here or whatever." Yeah. So I don't know the history behind it, but I do know that um, the church has helped to um, proliferate that industry. Um, because it's it's one of the only mediums where the technology is used that it's used constantly mm-hmm. and so it's grown the industry massively mm-hmm. and it's also spurred them to innovate to create products exclusively for churches mm. you know so what's really interesting when you go out there and you look for um, audio engineering um, manuals or um, tutorials a lot of them are based out of churches because that's where people use it every single day, mm-hmm. you know. Whereas you have these places where, like, you had the industry experts with, like, the, the only other example I could think of is, like, for concerts for secular artists. You, you, it's That's more isolated to a select few as opposed to, like, churches throughout the United States and all over the world that are constantly using the technology every day. Um, I think the church has really pushed that industry mm-hmm. to where it is today. Yeah, because I, I see, I follow some people in our organization on Instagram that use technology for music purposes, and I'm just like, I mean, one, we don't use that stuff at our church. I don't know the reason. Um, I would like to learn. I mean, I feel like, I feel like all the technological aspects of music is kind of passing me by because I'm still that kid that just plays on his upright piano and does recitals and it's just classical and yeah. it's I'm kind of stuck in my ways. Um, you know, I see videos of people using loop machines and I'm just and I'm just like, oh my god, like how fun would that be just yeah. to be able to do that? And then also, how much does it cost? Because my adult brain kicks in too. Every time my kid brain has an idea, my adult brain was like, but what about, and then the light bulb just fizzles out. Yeah. But, but I, I, I've been using GarageBand a lot just for fun. And, and so like I'm getting into the technological aspects of it. But, but I, I think, I mean, innovation, the reason why innovation doesn't occur in any aspect whether in the church or outside the church, it's just, um, just the fear of change. Yeah. Um, and also it depends on the motivation of 
the the people who have decided to embark on finding a better way of doing things. Um, yeah. Not to say fear of change in the on the church side. I'm not saying like we should change from our doctrine and the, you know the Bible and yeah, absolutely. But I feel like the Bible leaves a lot of open stuff for us to make our own decisions about how to it kind of gives us what should be our motivations what are the goals we should be getting after and then it's up to us to figure out how best to achieve those I think and then you get that through prayer most of the time Um, just why not why not ask Jesus hey how can we do this thing better Um, instead of consult the culture Exactly. I think when you have that centered, you know, your life revolves around the desire to know your creator, to know God, that everything stems from that, um, that, that gears everything the way that it should be. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think the problem is there are some churches that see it from the, the other they, they see it the other way around where they try to utilize tools mm-hmm. to manipulate their end goal mm-hmm. right so you have churches and I'll say it generically you have churches that use these innovations and technological advances in hopes to gain more followers mm-hmm. more attendees and congregants and you know quote unquote convertees mm-hmm. um and then also neglect their relationship with God in the meantime in their pursuit of this incorporation of tech, right? I think that's where things get lost. But if you have at the core of your belief system and the core of everything that you do based on relationship with Jesus Christ, then it's like, okay, then I can, in my walk with God, see opportunity to utilize these tools Mm -hmm. to his glory right and then also see pitfalls of incorporating things that you shouldn't right and say okay yeah well i you know maybe i should step away from this thing because that's going to be harmful to maybe my relationship or someone else's relationship with god Mm -hmm. um so you're you're more of a uh, i don't know um you're more cautious i guess and more aware of of your surroundings in that way rather than you know constantly just jumping on every trend just because you know regardless of what effect it might have on you spiritually and I think you have to strike that balance or else you know the culture will just sweep you and then you end up someplace else that Mm -hmm. isn't even remotely Christian anymore and I think it happens like so often with you know like the fringe contemporary churches that like they they're just so close to just mimicking, you know, secular institutions. At some point, they, you know, the only thing that distinguishes them is the fact that they, you know, have a steeple on their building, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, so you have to you have to be careful in that respect. But you, I think you you can't go wrong, you know, if you have a a sure foundation mm-hmm. in you know on the Word of God. Mm-hmm. One, that being the core. Because the word of God never changes, mm-hmm. right? 
um, and then having a that the a relationship with God mm-hmm. and having everything rooted in that. I mean, trying to think about sort of God's nature from what we know in the Bible and stories in the Bible. It seems like when God asks somebody to build something, it's never, all right, I just need you to build this, so just go ahead and build it however you see fit. I don't recall any story going that way. Yeah. When God um, directed this guy, I forgot his name, to build the tabernacle, he gave him specific instructions. Yeah. what to do when he told Noah to build an ark specific instructions building the temple specific instructions ark of the covenant specific instructions like a- anytime something was built for the purpose of glorifying God and God told him to build something God always gave the details Yes, it, it wasn't like God putting the ball in their court and allowing them to be creative and you know yeah and, and and so there's some there's some things when God tells you to build something like God expects you to build it His way. Um, there's really no creative license when it comes to the kingdom of God, I guess. Yeah, like it's either His way, you know, or. And so I don't see any, I would love for somebody to show me an instance where God told somebody to do anything, really. Uh, This would be an interesting Bible study that I could embark on. But when did God tell anybody to do something and then that person just uh, figured out his own way of doing it? And and God didn't provide the details of how to do it. That's very true. I don't know. You know, now that I think about it, I don't think I know of anything. Like, I, I'm, I'm thinking right now as far as military-wise, if, if God um, told Joshua, hey, you know, take out Jericho, but guess what? <laughs> he gave details on yeah. what exactly to do. God would tell some of these military people, David, who to take out, and then you kind of just read the Bible, and it just says they went out and did it. Yeah, Not much detail was given as far as how they did it. Um, yeah. But maybe that just shows how somebody did something to accomplish the goal of God is irrelevant. <laughs> maybe it just doesn't matter. Or it... God didn't intend on man getting glory for accomplishing something because of how they accomplished it. But I don't know. I'm kind of just thinking out loud. But yeah. Very interesting. I mean, that's true, though. I mean, I, I definitely agree that, you know, God directs the church. That's how it ought to be. Mm-hmm. You know, there isn't this like creative license that like, we can manage the church outside of God. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there are places that 
are doing that, you know, kind of speaking in God's place, you know. And uh, I think that's a good distinction to make. You know, because they, when you really do look at the Word of God and, and you kind of reflect back on all the stories, it's a, yeah, no, God gives specific instruction, you know. And I think that's important to recognize, you know, that our doctrine is, is um, you have to have, um, you have to be really rooted in it to, to guide, you know, to guide your, your, your behavior and your actions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you try to do it outside of that and then kind of just like lightly reference it, then it's, that's where you're in that gray area where mm-hmm. you can easily make, you know, stumble and make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if I'm, I'm getting at exactly what you were, you're referencing, but I mean, I, I certainly do agree that the, there is the distinction that, you know, that, that it, you know, the, the old cliche saying, it's like, it's God's way or the highway. Like it really is. It's, it's you, you've got to do it his way. He directs. Yeah. The, the church is a theocracy. Exactly. The, the church in America is a theocracy within a democracy. <laughs> and, like, the theocracy only extends, uh, it doesn't extend out of the church structure. But it is a theocracy. Yeah. And, and usually the theocracy doesn't really contradict with anything related to the U.S. government or anything like that. But that's when, you know, Supreme Court rules and stuff and, or whatever. But that's kind of a different conversation. I, I would have to definitely do more thinking on that. But, but yes, the church is a theocracy. And I feel like people see Jesus, they constantly see Jesus as like still on the cross you know, like you go to people's home and you see crucifixes, you mm-hmm. see crosses, as if that's what Jesus is doing now. Yeah. It's like, did Jesus stop at being your Savior? Like, it, when we initially come to him, he's our Savior, but is that all he is? Hmm. Or does, because from what I remember, Jesus resurrected and went and told his people, you know, go out, preach the gospel, okay? And then he ascended, ascended to where? I mean, what did John the Revelator see in his revelation? Hmm. He saw a throne, right? I mean, (laughs) that's where Jesus is now, right? And so at some point he's got to You've got to promote him from Savior to Lord. You know, Thomas did that too when Jesus showed him the holes in his hands. And, yeah. You know, and Thomas said, my Lord, my God. At that point, Jesus jumped from Savior to Lord. Mm-hmm. And so it's not all... there there is in Christianity there is still expectation of when Jesus tells us to do something we do it 
Like there's there's really no wiggle room with that. Like Jesus still gives commandments. Yeah. And he's still giving orders. He's not a laissez-faire kind of leader. Where he's just like, alright, well, you know what I told you. Go and preach the gospel and y'all just figure it out. Yeah. Like, he's not that way. That wouldn't be a good king. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A king that's not in full control of his kingdom. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, This is a scripture in my mind that kind of characterizes, I think characterizes, and it's, it's... I don't think I'm the only one that holds this opinion of like the modern day church in regards to what you're talking about. Uh, I want, I don't want to butcher it. I want to look it up real quick. Um, Transition song. Transition song. Transition song. Transition song. Transition song. Uh-huh. Transition song. Transition song. And now we go back to what we're already doing. Yeah, so this is the, um... Transition song. Uh-huh. Transition song. Transition song. Transition song. All right, so it's in Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3, and I'm reading the uh, English Standard Version. It says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, have itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions mm-hmm. right and so this is something that was projected to be the case you know in our times and mm-hmm. he- here we are you know that's like one of the you know one of the more common things we see today is there are churches that, that reflect that statement mm-hmm. that they just want to tickle the ears of the congregants to kind of just satiate you know this you know their their conscience but that they can carry on and not have any really real change in their life and um you know that's putting god on that back on the you know on the cross to say like that the only purpose of, of christ is just to satiate that conscience to mm-hmm. say that okay now I I'm I feel clear of my um, my shortcomings and my sins now I carry on with life and you know you have all kinds of doctrines that go on out there that say you know you're going to be blessed from here on out you're not going to encounter any struggles or pains and you know the whole notion of prosperity you know the prosperity doctrine and that's just not at all what this is the word of God talks about, you know. Mm-hmm. Example after example. 
I mean, we see it. Mm-hmm. it um, we remember we remember the stories of Jesus healing people and performing miracles, but we always forget the part where he tells them, "Go and sin no more." Yeah, <laughs> it's like him healing you does not justify the way you live your life, Mike. There's always should be a expectation of change and transformation. Yeah. Yeah. But like I I'm really tired of people like not changing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite verses um that's just one of the like when you really break down this verse and the whole chapter by the way in Romans chapter 12 it's uh it's it's really uh it's really crazy when you break it put it you you try to dissect it and it says be not conformed to this world like okay cool but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good Mm -hmm. you know faithful will of god it's like um the second part to that in verse two is it presents your body as a living sacrifice right how do you like Mm -hmm. as your reasonable service yeah it's that's supposed to be like a I think the scripture goes on to say that's a reason which is your reasonable service right it's like Mm -hmm. you're this is not like something outlandish that we're asking of you like this is what is expected of you Mm -hmm. you know and then but you know I think the church is kind of just stuck on the fact that you know well um, we're satisfied that you're um, sitting on a on a pew and um, you know that you're you're, you're ridden of that guilt that was kind of itching on the back of your skull. It's like, well, there's a little bit more to it once you're welcome into the yeah. family of God. You ha- you, there's a responsibility mm-hmm. to um, be led of God mm-hmm. in everything that you do. So, yeah, I mean, it just really goes back to what you're saying. It's mm-hmm. like people are, are content to just leave Jesus well, mm-hmm. on the cross and then carry on with their lives and just hope everything's okay Mm -hmm. so kind of to use an analogy um uh, i was able to visit chicago earlier this year i I think it was about march we decided we were going to go to the willis tower formerly the sears tower Uh okay and we go in through the first floor right we didn't stay at the first floor I mean, why would we stay in the first floor? Isn't the whole point of going into a giant skyscraper is to go to the top and see the view of everything around you? Yeah. So think of the kingdom of God as a skyscraper, right? The first floor, the main lobby, is salvation. That's the main lobby, okay? But so many people... Like, if you could just visualize the kingdom of God being a skyscraper and you got so many people just hanging out in the lobby the whole time. It, and you're just like, what are y'all doing? Do y'all have, like, a place to be? Like, do y'all work at the 20th floor? Or yeah. No, we're just here in the lobby. We're just hanging out in the lobby, getting coffee, you know. And So the lobby is salvation. That's literally the first floor. It, you're, you're not supposed to stop at salvation. 
you know, at some point you have to go up the floors and like, and then the higher you go, the more visibility you have over what's going on around you, you know, and then and sometimes God lets people take the elevators at certain points to get to certain floors and then requires them to take the stairs for later on, you know meaning that some stages of life are easy some are hard but the whole goal is to get to the top but so many people decide that the lobby is good enough for them yeah and and i i feel sad for them where where they're just okay with um instead of growing in grace they're just living in the uh, they're just living in the remnants of that first grace that they felt when they came to Jesus and then never grew in grace because they haven't changed anything yeah and so they're just in the first floor just hanging around yeah and I'm just like Dude, just come up, come up to the second floor. You, you'll see. Just, just go up one flight of stairs, please, and like see. There's at least something else yeah. in this gigantic building. It's, it's pretty frustrating, and it's. I I say it frustrates me seeing other people do that, but the more I talk about this, the more I realize how I'm guilty of it too, or I may not be in the lobby but I'm kind of hanging out on the 30th floor because that's where all the you know couches and sofas are <laughs> take naps there yeah it's very relaxing in the 30th floor but I know that the floor is ahead of me um, there's no elevators to get there first off it'll require a lot of effort for me to get there and and uh you know, and also getting up there is a little bit more dangerous. There's puts me at a puts a target on my back and stuff like that. And so I'm guilty of everything that I'm saying too. <laughs> the yeah. more I talk about it, but no, I, mean, I think you have to be real about that because you know, if I'm real, it, I, I think I, I totally relate with that. You know, I don't think we. I mean, we all aspire. Mm-hmm. you know to to do you know that you know I'm trying to think of the scripture where Paul talks about um, you know the good that I would do I do not you mm-hmm. know that's that's what we all aspire towards um, but we all kind of have to recognize that we're feeble in, in, our, in our human nature and so that what really pushes us past that precipice is the the relationship, that desire to go up, right? Um, like not being satisfied with just like going back to your metaphor, which I really like, and being in the lobby. I think if, you know, there's a scripture that talks about, you know, um, where, where the writer was condemning the church and saying, you know, this thing, the only one thing that I judge you on basically is that you've lost your 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 first, first love, love. Yeah. right 
and that if you have a true you know love for God you know pure unadulterated love that that's going to propel you to to go in greater depths in him right and so like going back to the metaphor of the tower you know or the skyscraper there's a lot of places where I've been like for example the hemisphere tower here in San Antonio right like the whole goal is to be at the top to look out down mm-hmm. on San Antonio and a lot of people have like hesitations because of their fears of height you know or you know they're just really uncomfortable with the whole idea of it um, but my desire to be in that place to to see something really uncommon um and it's a really cool experience if you haven't you know tried it before i mean if you live in any time in san antonio you've probably Mm -hmm. already done this but you know i remember my first time doing i had the you know i had reservations you know especially because one of the first things you do is you get in an elevator and you're leaning against this glass that outlooks you know all of san antonio Mm -hmm. um so you already start getting nervous just going up the elevator alone right and some people allow that feeling and you know that fear to just prevent them from even trying Mm -hmm. right but because my desire to to see that experience that feeling it overrode all those things Mm -hmm. and i pushed through the uncomfortable and the uneasiness of going up that elevator and that's a really kind of simple analogy, mm-hmm. but, you know, if your desire is there, you're going to not be satisfied just lingering in the lobby, mm-hmm. you know? And I think people are just like, the lobby is really simple to get into. It's got the turnstile door, you know, there might be something attractive there, but then they don't really mm-hmm. gauge the depth of, of what kind of a structure they're in. Mm-hmm. You know, when you recognize how awesome that is to be, and a skyscraper and to be at the very top and, and look down and see how incredible that is. I think, you know, knowing that that would propel me right away to find the nearest staircase. And so like, I'm not, I'm not going to just stay here. Like it's cool mm-hmm. that I've made it this far, but I've got to make my way to the top. And of course we're all going to struggle. We're all going to, you know, run into obstacles on the way up. But if you've gotten in a point in your relationship with God where it's like, I'm just cool here. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's when you have to start reevaluating, you know, yourself and where you sit and going back to like, where mm-hmm. your where your first love is cuz that's kind of like the kid inside me, you know. Yeah, you know, when you go to these tourist attractions, like parents think about, you know, the cost of going to like Disney World for instance, right? The cost and you know, they think about you know, the, the logistics, you know, where I'm going to stay at it, you know, what hotels we're going to stay at, how I'm going to get there, um, all these things. And so for a parent, the experience is completely different from the child. That's just like, you know, eager to just bust out the gate, you know, doesn't care about how, how much anything costs, how much walking they're going to have to do, but they're willing to wait in lines for hours because there's just this strong desire to, to experience this thing and I think that's the same when it comes to you know in some sense having a relationship with God it's like Mm -hmm. you know I'm I've fallen so in love with God that I don't care what the obstacles what you know 
uncomfortableness I'm going to have to go through. I want to, you know, I want to experience that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that falls in line with your metaphor. Oh, no, no, that's enough. great. I remember, uh, speaking of fear of heights, uh, when we were at Willis Tower, we did the sky deck, right? Uh-huh. And that's the one where you have, you know, boxes of glass sticking out of the building and you go into it and, you know, your the floor is glass and you could see what's beneath you. And uh, it was um, it, it was a good thing that I went to the bathroom before I did that. Because, <laughs> boy, dude, like my monkey brain just kicked in. Yeah. My legs were shaking. Yeah. I was just like trying to keep my eye on the camera because they take pictures of y'all. And uh, I, I'm just like, I, I can't look anywhere outside of the camera. Yeah. Because um, if I looked down, I was, I was going to lose it. And, and like my brain my you know limbic system <laughs> can't tell that doesn't care that there's glass <laughs> below me it, yeah. you know for all intents and purposes there is no glass that and it thinks there is no glass and yeah. i'm freaking out it's like you're, you're, and you're my about to adrenaline die. is going you <laughs> yeah. know and then you know after me there comes like a six-year-old that's like crawling all over it just like hey i could see way down there and <laughs> Just like okay, well, I, I guess I'm not a real man anymore. So yeah, they disabled that part of their. So brain. like that five-year-old just completely showed me up. <laughs> yeah. But, but, regardless, it was a great experience, right? Yeah. This is that was it, that's the tallest building in America. Oh, the uh, the Willis Tower. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know. And to the observation deck, you know. Uh, When I visited New York with my family, me and my dad went up to the Empire State Building observation deck. That was cool. Yeah. Um, But that one, that observation deck was outside. Mm. And and so you feel the wind and and you can... Another thing that nobody tells you about going into high, high rises is that the wind makes the building sway. <laughs> the building sways with the wind. It's not completely still. Yeah. That'll freak you out. Yeah. I can definitely imagine. And then I'm like trying to they have railing on the outside uh-huh. for obvious reasons. And then I'm trying to stick my phone out to take a picture <laughs> of the skyline and my yeah. hands are shaking. I'm just like, do not drop this phone. <laughs> <laughs> So many people drop their phones and stuff like that. Just use the zoom feature, guys. It's like no, I gotta no get gonna it know the outside of the railing. <laughs> <laughs> Position the phone between the bars and then zoom out, and then you don't even have to tell anyone that you didn't stick your arm out. <laughs> 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 they will not know the difference. Yeah, and then like it's so populated below where you are, someone's gonna get hit in the top of the head with the phone traveling. 100 miles an hour. <laughs> they don't have like nets or anything like that. I would imagine they No, I, I mean, I think down the building. I think the Empire State Building, you know how it, it's kind of like a layered cake. Oh, yeah. And so like the the phone could just land on a layer, a little platform, yeah. yeah. yeah but I some people like to toss coins. But I they don't realize coins turn into bullets when you account for the acceleration of gravity. Yeah. 
just see people plopping over. It's like, oh gosh, someone got a hold of a coin purse. It'll crack <laughs> your skull. Yeah. A penny falling from the Empire State Building will crack somebody's skull. Yeah. Maybe embed itself. Yeah. Depending on how it lands. When you just mentioned that, it immediately I, my memory brought up the this video, of um, and it's totally unrelated. So, just a little segue <laughs> here. All right. <laughs> but um, it's talking about like how um, car accidents at different speeds is equivalent to falling from a building at certain heights, mm-hmm. and they actually like um, dramatized it. You know, so like they would show the guy driving, and then at the moment of impact of the crash, they like placed him at a certain height of a building, and so like if you crashed at like eighty miles an hour, you were like falling off of the side of a skyscraper. Mm-hmm. And it was like it's the acceleration you're at when you hit the ground, right? Yeah, that, that's what it's getting at. Yeah. yeah. So it basically like scared me to, you know, obey the law. <laughs> well, and that's why they have you know airbags to slow down that ex- to decelerate you. Yeah. Um. That's why cars are are made of more malleable materials. Where like back in the old days. Straight up steel. Like nothing was, yeah, straight up steel, nothing was going to dent. <laughs> but now cars are made to, when they, in collisions, they just collapse. Yeah. And that absorbs the shock. Um, well. Yeah, so. I'd love to get a hold of a, a classic Model T and drive that around. But I can't imagine how that would Im- like if I were to ever get an accident with that thing there's like literally no protection <laughs> you know Ford didn't think of that <laughs> you know it's it so didn't even have too. windshields yeah there's no windshield there's nothing you could get in a car accident simply because a moth got stuck in your eye <laughs> I almost got an accident last night because there was a um, a praying mantis on my windshield <laughs> And and I'm driving in the parking lot. And I didn't notice it this whole time, and then I caught the caught the thing in my windshield all mm-hmm. out of the, my you know peripheral. I'm like, oh wow, that's cool. And then like I'm backing up, and I was like, just realizing at that moment that I wasn't looking at the mirrors. It's <laughs> like I could have easily backed up into someone, and it would have been a bug's fault. <laughs> 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 or I would have blamed the bug, but you know, no one's gonna believe that. All he was doing was just praying. <laughs> yeah, he was just—he was a praying mantis. I thought there was something spiritual, you know. Yeah. It's like, man, I gotta, you know, take this moment and just kind of really relish it. When you're focused on prayer, doesn't matter what yeah. you run into. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. Uh, um, since starting uh, the. Uh, uh, pilot school stuff they, mm-hmm. they tell you about like emergency procedures and uh, like when you crash like it's pretty much going to be over <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> I mean well, that's why you try to slow down before you crash like uh, one pilot told me that you never stop being a pilot until the second you hit the ground you're not ever bracing for impact you're like you're flying to the very end um Hmm. and you know and and it's pretty funny like i i I tease my mom you know and 
talk about, hey, you know, guess what maneuvers I did today, Mom? Oh, what? Oh, oh, I stalled the airplane. Yeah, and, and went nose first into the earth or towards the earth. And my mom was like, don't tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> or like uh, I told her, I was like, yeah, this maneuver, we're, f- we're going to fly close to the ground because we have to use the ground as reference points. And so, like, if our engine fails, I mean, we got to make sure that we're in an area where we can have an emergency landing. And my mom yeah. was like, don't tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> so I just tease her. Yeah. Like I told her, I was like, Mom, would you come if I, when I did my solo flight and I went and just to see me land? And she was like, don't tell me when that happens. I'm like, <laughs> okay, I won't tell you. I can't imagine how tight my butt cheeks are going to be <laughs> in my first solo flight. It's so rigid, just kind of like... But it's going to be so surreal when I, like, leave the Earth surface and then go a th- go thousands of feet above the Earth surface and then land back onto the Earth surface and, like, did what, like, trillions of people in human history have only dreamed of doing. Like, that's just... That's to me, is just surreal. Yeah. Um, and so I'm loving it. But they... They definitely tell me about crashing and yeah. You know, they have to burn like that. that into your mm-hmm. in your memory somewhere. You're yeah. always constantly thinking of that. Oh, death could imagine ensue. having to take a car ride to work, but before you take the car ride, you have to go through and examine every nook and cranny of that car to make sure all the parts are connected right, and there's nothing structurally that could. Um, cause your engine to fail and stuff like that i think people ought to nobody people should probably but nobody does yeah well i remember when i was taking uh my training to drive a 15 passenger van Mm -hmm. like they tell you to do all that and kind of people laugh it off like yeah you don't really have to you know check your wheels check your mirrors Mm -hmm. you know check the underside of your vehicle Mm -hmm. like who's gonna do that every single time they turn on a a van Mm mm-hmm but I mean the ramifications are far much worse if you don't do that with an yeah. airplane. <laughs> exactly. I have to do that before that's my pre flight check. Yeah. I have to go through and look at everything. I have to examine the propeller blades and make sure that there's no like cracks in it. Yeah. Because what happens is if you're in the air, okay, <laughs> and there's a crack in your propeller, one, you have to recognize it very quickly when your propellers are imbalanced and cut the engine like as soon as you notice it because when the propellers are imbalanced it could rip the engine out of the airplane right just because of the force that that produces right and uh, when you don't have an engine in your airplane you can't fly right so no engine, and no you flying. fall, and you fall back, and all that mass leaves the airplane, and so now you're falling back tail first. The center of gravity shifts. Well, at least you don't and, have to and see you your just fate. And you're just <laughs> screwed. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, and I'll be praying. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, see, then you you're not looking at your uh, your inevitable crash, and you're looking directly. You're looking <laughs> literally <laughs> looking into the it's sky. Is it perfectly <laughs> placing you into that moment? You're just like, Lord Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're sheltered from, you know, you don't get to even see how close you are to death. 
looking straight at them and be like, you know what? Wow, It'll happen anytime. Look really nice. Nice. <laughs> look at those birds. Yeah. yeah. Man, I was just doing that a minute ago. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? <laughs> Something went terribly wrong. <laughs> oh. oh, man. Do your pre flight checks, folks. Yes. <laughs> be thorough. Thank, thank a pilot. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody, like the internet, makes fun of people who like clap, like when they <laughs> la- when they land, <laughs> like they're flying Delta Airlines yeah. and then they touch down and then like they they're stopped and then people make fun <laughs> of the people that clap because they they're like what tools you know but yeah yeah thank a pilot. The concept of flight is like miraculous. I think it's yeah. just become so common. Mm-hmm. Dude, well, I'm actually reading a book on the Wright brothers and sort of going back to our little innovation discussion we were having. Uh-huh. Like, holy cow. Um, so there's quite a few people in the world, like mainly Europe and America, trying to figure out a way to fly. There's people jumping off of cliffs, trying to glide, people dying from <laughs> think those things going wrong. Yeah. And then these two guys that just like like tinkering and have a, a bicycle shop just decide, okay, you know what? This piques our interests. We're going to invest our heart and soul into it, right? So on, you got these two guys that are using the money that they make from the bicycle shop. And, you know, in 1900, that was the rage like that was like the hoverboards now. Okay. <laughs> Everybody's Yeah, good comparison. Yeah. <laughs> Bicycles were the rage. Now everybody wanted one. Yeah. And so it's like think of whatever new technology we have today, like apps or whatever, and people starting a business doing that so they could fund whatever passion they have. It's like Elon Musk building cars so he can make flamethrowers. <laughs> um <laughs> yeah. And so you got these two guys that are just doing this, and their mechanics, they build everything using their own money. And Wilbur Wright would just go out and study uh, birds and just try to figure out how those wings work. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what produces lift, you know, and stuff like that. They went out until they made, they looked for a specific place in America that had the best wind and that had the most wind really huh. you know and that place was like off the coast of North Carolina Kitty Hawk as most people know then you got the guy who runs the mis- the Smithsonian okay trying to build an airplane and he gets government money I think a couple hundred thousand dollars trying to fund it he royally fails okay did he die? No, like he he had a pilot do it, but they fell into the water. Like in these days, nobody was going above a hundred feet, mm-hmm. right? The Wright brothers probably spent a couple thousand, and they were able to create a flyer with an engine that you can control, that you can turn, and then land back where you started using their own money and so what does that tell you about innovation like now when I'm reading this my libertarian brain just decided to light up yeah 
right? Where I'm just like, you know, where when government subsidizes and tries to put money to bring innovation into fruition, for some reason, people don't treat that money as if they treat their own money, right? And so the right decisions aren't made. But when you got two guys using their own money and have a legit passion for it, yeah, then you'll get innovation. That's not to say that they had no help whatsoever, but they pretty much did everything themselves. They had influences, um, but they really didn't take money from anybody for a long time until they made their first deal with France. That's a fun fact, right? It wasn't even America that, you know, it's signed a contract French. with them first. Yeah. You have to attribute modern day flight to the French? I guess. <laughs> but like they went to Europe to demonstrate. Yeah. And then it wasn't until they were successful there that America was like, okay, yeah, now we want these guys. Because America, you know, the government, you know, and kind of rightfully so, they're cynical about manned flight. Yeah. And they didn't want to waste taxpayer money. Oh, remember when the government was actually concerned about that? Wow, holy cow. Yeah. But, and then now, not to say that government money does nothing. Government money put man on the moon. But, yeah. I mean, I'm not ultra libertarian. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm just, I'm loving that story. Have you read anything lately or learned something cool lately? No. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you, all, you went to Portland recently with your wife. Yeah, I did. How was that? I really enjoyed it. I think it was a definitely um, landscape change. You didn't see Fred Armisen? No. <laughs> you know what's so funny is um, I actually brought that up in a conversation with a native Portlandian. I went to go get my hair cut. Um, you know, it was kind of a weird thing to do. You're out vacation, but I needed a haircut, so there is one right next to the hotel. It was easy enough. Nobody was there. If you've seen his hair, you know that Andrew values his haircuts <laughs> highly. It was, it was a really like you know talked about barbershop in Portland, so I was like, okay, cool, check it out. It's really swanky, cool, modern, hip. You know, I felt like really cool walking in, and you know. I have the illusion of never knowing these people, so I can walk in and pretend like I actually am cool. <laughs> or like, oh, you've lived in Portland your whole life, yeah, <laughs> and you just discovered this place. No, I told them straight away. I was like, no, I'm from Texas, and they kind of like, oh. I guess their first thing was like, oh, are you from Austin? <laughs> like Austin's like our sister city. Mm-hmm. Um, well, anyways. Needless to say, um, I asked them about what their view was on the show Portlandia. And I guess their consensus was that they didn't very much like the show. They thought at first it was kind of funny and flattering and, you know, somewhat accurate. And then that the further the show progressed, it became mocking. And so they they actually don't really like the show. (laughs) Um, And I thought that was interesting. So I was like, oh, well, I mean, I could definitely understand, you Mm -hmm. know, at some point it is becoming like very mocking of your, you know, what you guys legitimately believe, you know, not that I like align my beliefs with anything. It's just too much 
to go into that realm. But anyways, yeah, they didn't really like him. That's funny. I think he lives there now, though. I think really? he's bought a home in, in Portland. Because it's, it's a really interesting um, place. I mean, geologically, it's awesome. Oh, yeah. Like, every corner, you know, you're, like, looking uh, on the side. You know, you're seeing, first of all, the greenery. It's just it's everywhere. It's so common there that they've just kind of grown accustomed to it, you know, looking off into the distance and you see, mm-hmm. you know, mountainsides and all these trees just foresting everywhere. Whereas here in like in Texas, we get so like we're, we're just used to like flat plains and, you know, it, it, it we get excited when we go on road trips and we see like cows and hills. It's like, woo, you know, but there it's like massive trees, these giant rivers and you know, being pretty close to the ocean. It was, it was, it was a pretty cool experience. Um, and the culture there is really interesting too. Uh, one of the things that we thought, you know, foodies would like this, but like Portland is really focused on, uh, local, uh, vendors, shops and, and for food. So like when you go there, um, the funny thing is, is there's not a lot of fast food easily read, um, available. Because it, it, there's almost too much local options. So around every street corner, there's you know some Thai restaurant. They value that more. So um, it was actually a really cool experience because you get to see um, so much more variety. Whereas here, we're like more accustomed to, you know, oh, they're building an in and out. Woo! It's like <laughs> another burger chain. <laughs> um, so yeah, we celebrate Whataburger. Yeah, we, cele- we celebrate <laughs> yeah. chains. Yeah, exactly. And there, they're kind of like chains are kind of the enemy, you know. And they have a great park, Washington Park. That's just phenomenal. It's just so cool. And it's just, um, I'm just a lot I could say there. But yeah, it shows how scholarly I am. You talk about books, and I'm like, oh no, it's fun traveling. No, no, it's. <laughs> I wish I could travel. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm I'm not, I don't travel very often. I mean, that was probably like years since the last time I actually flew anywhere. So I I just wanted to go. Me and my wife we talked about we wanted to go somewhere different. That you know, like we would feel everybody goes to New York, L.A., right. um, Chicago, Toronto, which I heard is completely underrated yeah. as far as a big city is concerned. I have some folks that live in Quebec that recommend either going to Quebec or to Toronto because like Toronto is like it's like Canada's New York Mm -hmm. but it's just like this massive place and really great for tourism Um, but yeah that's what we were thinking was like you know Niagara Falls right yeah exactly you have all of that there so that's one of the places I definitely want to visit but I didn't want to go to like the the generic you know tourist traps everyone goes to mm-hmm. even though we did go to seattle which i think is another one of those places that's like a giant tourist trap um seattle was cool but i was actually more my biggest takeaway was i was more um impressed with portland i was just like it was i think mm-hmm. i had more fun there than i did in seattle mm-hmm. and people were like well you know most people think you're gonna go to seattle first um seattle was interesting mm-hmm. to say the least um I I would like to travel to just different states and like 
these small little areas that nobody knows about. I remember when I visited my sister in Tucson, and uh, she took me kind of down south, and we went to like caverns. We went there was like this little town where apparently uh, the Bigfoot was spotted, and it's <laughs> and and so that was like the shtick of the town. Um, I think I find those experiences to be so much cooler than stuff that we see on TV all the time where you, you, you get to kind of visit towns that have its own story or character like I enjoy that um, oh yeah I, I enjoy outdoorsy trips um, whenever we went to um, Pikes Peak and Rocky Mountain National Park and Yellowstone that was an awesome trip but the cool part was in between those places we would stop at different spots like there's dinosaur colorado yeah and there they have the dinosaur national monument and and that was just a gem like they basically carved out of a cliff and found a bunch of dinosaur bones in the cliff yeah and they built a building around it and so you can go there and see like gigantic femurs <laughs> and 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 skulls and stuff yeah. like that and like and you go outside and you're just in desert <laughs> yeah but it was a just a gem that you wouldn't normally have stopped at right it's not a normal tourist attraction yeah. there's hardly anybody there yeah you know no i love that stuff man that's one of the things we did was, um, so the the trip between Portland to Seattle is about like a three-hour drive. And there's a train that goes between the two, but I wanted to kind of drive to kind of see the scenery, take like the scenic route. Mm-hmm. And part of the taking the scenic route, we kind of got lost in through these little small towns in between. And there's this really interesting sets of small towns, and I wish I had collected all the names of each because we found very interesting things in these really, really tiny places that were like in the depths of the forest of, uh, you know, between Washington and Oregon, all these little logging towns, um, you know, and they have all these like, there's this one little town we went through where the tourist attraction, like you literally can you pass this town within five minutes. It looks like one of those like classic sleepy towns you know only like 300 mm-hmm. population <laughs> and you drive in the first thing you see is like a train like a little classic train setup like you know early 1800s train robbery type train mm-hmm. and it's a little mini hotel and that's their attraction mm-hmm. <laughs> each of the train cars is a, is a hotel and i was like the the path that we took is so untraditional because it's not that we didn't take the the main highway i was like how often do people go here to go stay at this you know world-renowned quote-unquote you know tourist attraction these little train motels there's (laughs) got to be a story behind it and then another town we went to had like here's the home of this church i don't know why the church was important but it was like the smallest church i've ever seen and it looked like one of those classic old wooden paned churches with a super like tall wild steeple. west church yeah yeah and it was but the backdrop was incredible because it was this church like on a little hill 
no you know commercialized anything around it no homes and it was on the backdrop of like washington state just these trees um it was just so serene and uh, like i didn't even feel like i was in you know 2018 i was like where am i and yeah. we briefly passed up i don't know the history behind this small church but there's like signs mm-hmm. all leading up to it here it is mm-hmm. so i love that stuff yeah the, one of the cool points with my family trip uh to chicago we visited family in indiana and so we landed um in chicago and then drove a rental down to indiana on the way there, we stopped at a restaurant in northern Indiana that's sort of a, a town that's, like, on the lake. It's like a lake town. Yeah. And, like, the best way I could describe it is obviously a tamer version of, like, um, whatever that town by Lake Lacrimose and, like, a series of, so of for unfortunate events. Yeah. It, so it reminds me sort of of that town, obviously not as cartoony, but... Um, yeah. And we, we had lunch at this, we decided I was going to Yelp, and I was in charge of finding places to eat. Yeah. And, dude, we just found this mom, and it's, it's some person's house, okay? <laughs> and we ate there, and they had the meanest lobster rolls I've ever had. <laughs> yeah. you know? And But just that experience, just in this random town, this random restaurant that got great reviews, and that had like good prices. And we were just like, it, it pays to kind of go off the beaten path a bit when yeah. you go on vacations. And, and so that's why, that's why it's important to leave some wiggle room with your vacations to kind of be spontaneous. And that's why it's also good to drive around. Like if you're going to do a road trip, like make a, a trip out of it. Don't just like straight up stay on the highway and then when you yeah. get there you get there like make some stops you know do some things yeah i think that's part of we had that mentality when we went into it you know and we're new to the whole vacationing thing i've never been in a position in my life where i could decide that you know now is a good time you know uh, you know we had vacations growing up and we never really had like the ability to do anything to that scale, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I hopefully I, I get it more opportunities mm-hmm. in life to go. I've never been on my own vacation. That's a different story. Yeah. It's well, one th- kind of like our, yeah. It's one thing to just be tagging along when somebody else planned it. But then it's another thing to have to plan it yourself. <laughs> and it's different. It's interesting because, like, you, there's so many routes that, you know, you can go with a travel agency and to have them prescribe, you know, the, the classic things to do. And so that's why I thought it was so wildly different to choose Portland as a destination. Um, and we don't regret it at all. We had so much fun. And that was kind of like part of it was being spontaneous. When I decided on the road trip versus, you know, taking the train route, um, there were times where we were going down some of those back roads and we're like, Google is recommending take this way. And we'd see a turn off and it looked way more interesting. And me and Laura would look at each other like, yeah, let's try that. <laughs> let's go down see, there. See, I like that. Yeah, and we would go, and it just was be like, uh huh, so, uh huh. Yeah, you know, just kind of like we don't even have to like verbally say anything. We just acknowledge, like, yeah, yeah, let's go down this road. And the the things we ran into, man, it was just so interesting. Like, um, this one's kind of just not the best way to characterize how you know what cool things you run into. 
being spontaneous, but we ran into this really small town. It's a low logging town, and it's got like a very tiny school. The backdrop was Mount Rainier. So I thought that was cool. We were looking at that like, oh, this must be awesome for these kids that go here. It's probably like maybe 50 kids that go to that school. It looks really small. But the backdrop is, you know, Mount Rainier. It's incredible. And all these trees and stuff. And then as we turned the corner, you know, the, the road split into a T. Mm-hmm. And at the base of the T was this just massive, um, I don't know if it would be categorized as a mountain, but it was just like this, these columns of trees traveling up this giant hill. So you're looking at, and the whole town is overshadowed by this thing. This the sun is kind of um, breaking through the leaves, and it just shines on this little town. It's just a beautiful scene. And the thing that we laughed about the most, though, was at the corner of this street, was a Jalisco restaurant, and it's the only thing like the semblance of a restaurant. Like this is this is um, uh, not authentic. What do you call it? Um, this is the, the like their their. Uh, not ethnic either it's exotic there you go mm. this is this is their exotic food in this small town is mexican a mexican restaurant <laughs> that's overshadowed by this massive mountain you know <laughs> and you would never know to find this place it's not going to be listed on yelp or anything um but i was like yeah it's so funny because we're from texas you know mm-hmm. i'm hispanic so when you see these like mexican restaurants placed outside of texas it's this exotic thing to everyone like who authentic mexican food mm-hmm. right and in this small little town where they barely have like a school and like a sheriff station and a post office they there's this little mexican restaurant on mm-hmm. the shadow of some mountain and it's like mm-hmm. ooh. you've ever been to some like texas themed restaurants in another state <laughs> and i don't <laughs> i've seen it but like I a never texas roadhouse not but not called texas roadhouse but a texas themed restaurant in some northern state like they go overboard with uh, stereotypes for sure. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I mean, we saw a lot of that. Like it was funny when we um, in Seattle, in parts of Seattle, there was like Mexican restaurants that were themed like to be like a Jalisco. But when you look at the menu and stuff like that, it was like really generic Mexican food, right? So it was just really funny to see that outside of Texas because here we're, it's so ingrained to the culture. Mm-hmm that you can actually distinguish good Mexican food from bad Mexican food. Where there, Mexican food is just like, ooh, you want Thai or Mexican? <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> so I imagine probably like the Chinese community and the, like the Thai community probably look at this our food here the same way whenever there's like a Thai restaurant that comes up. Like, oh, that's really generic Thai food, by the way. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, that, w- that was really fun. Cool. <laughs> I've been sitting on this couch and I just really want to lay down on it. <laughs> we need longer arms. <laughs> <laughs> These microphone arms don't go far enough. I have to actually like lean in. Yeah. I've been slowly backing away from my mic. <laughs> I'm like arching my back to stay forward. So that's been uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, I think what, what, my next goal is is to instead of having these arm boom stands, we have boom stands from the ceiling hanging down, <laughs> like like uh, the boxing. <laughs> <laughs> and no. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I would love yeah. that. But if we would just you know have more like sponsors or something, 
Yeah. That'd be great. <laughs> so we could like buy this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We talk a lot about Mexican food. Chipotle. <laughs> where are you at? Yeah. Where are you at Chipotle? <laughs> Help us get to where we can record podcasts laying down. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. That's when you know you made it. Yeah. That's revolutionary. Yeah. Nobody does podcasts laying down. Oh, dude. Should we even let this out into the podcast sphere now? Mm-hmm. Like someone's going to take this idea. Mm-hmm. We need to trademark it first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got to have like special therapy session yeah. episodes or something. Uh, Here, come lay on the couch. Let me ask you a few questions. Yeah. And I want you to be extremely honest with me. Okay, Andrew, tell me why you're here. (laughs) What? (laughs) I know this is hard for you to take in all at once, Andrew, but I'm your psychiatrist. I'm here to take care of you. I'm not here to hurt you. I don't care what your mom or your dad did to you. Just, how's life going for you? How much is this session? <laughs> it's about $5,000. All right. So here's the thing. Um, is that an equal outside your window? <laughs> and then it just immediately jet up. Well, you don't floor. have any windows in this office, Andrew. Oh, that's interesting. You see windows? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think a window could symbolize in your life right now? Wait, wait. Am I the patient or the therapist? Did we just switch roles right now? Am I the crazy one? Your volume just dropped dramatically. <laughs> I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> uh, that was fun. You're that was going a fun to little ASMR exercise. Uh, hmm? You know ASMR? Have you heard of that? ASMR? Yeah. No. I forget what it stands for, but it's like this weird thing that um, people record themselves making these weird soft sounds or just like the, the lisp at the end of like a like the S's and T's they record that because some people find it soothing <laughs> have you never heard of this <laughs> no it's a real thing there's like tons of people on YouTube that I'm do the this m- I'm the most soothing person that you've ever seen see that that's what that is if you're doing you're doing and, it. and it's just people and they record noises and it's just like <sighs> yeah some of them use like brushes you know, there's these weird things that trigger that sensation <laughs> or they'll have people just kind of humming very lightly. Yeah, I've had some people told me like from talking to them on the phone that I have a soothing voice. Yeah. I don't get it. Maybe I want to just talk softly. Makes you want to go to sleep. Just have like some jazz playing in the background. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Josh's Jazz Session. (laughs) I'm your host, Josh. Here, I'm pulling up an ASMR video for you. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this. Good thing I'm already sitting on your couch. (laughs) This one's. I won't. I won't like hit the ground when my knees grow weak from listening to this. Oh, it's just like, love you. 
like tickling the mic with feathers, talking very lightly. Put it up against the mic more. Huh? Put it up against the mic more. It's very light. I don't think it's even picking up. No, I hear it. This is like four-hour video, <laughs> like nonstop. <laughs> now she's got pom-poms. I don't even know. I just this is one of those things you kind of have to experience. Like they even encourage you to have like the proper headphones, noise canceling headphones. Yeah. To like help people sleep. Or? Yeah, well, some people to help them sleep. That this particular video that I chose. Um, yeah, it says a hundred triggers to help you sleep. Four hours. Can video. you speak into your mic? I don't oh, know. My if, bad. I don't know if you remember that you're a host of a podcast or what. <laughs> but. <laughs> the, the <laughs> You're just one like rule. leaning back in your chair. <laughs> Telling you, <laughs> if you could see us right now, both of us are kind of like. We are so uncomfortable, but we're, s <laughs> we're sitting into very comfortable things in very uncomfortable positions. It's weird. <laughs> the lengths we go through to produce a show for Something. you guys. I hope you all like this episode, even though we just kind of chatted. I don't think we talked about anything so we said we were going to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We decided to kind of take a different approach. Yeah. Just kind of just let the soul come out. You know, mm. just just go with the flow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I hope this soothes you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> I had fun, though. I did. Good, good, good show. It felt like just a normal conversation we would have. That was like the whole goal of our podcast. Like, oh my god, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it almost sounded goofy esque. Hmm. Goofy. Oh, gosh. Hey, gosh. <laughs> I say good day to you. Good day to you, sir. Good day to you as well. I said good day. <laughs> just throw your jacket. <laughs> good day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to keep talking until you hit stop. Oh. Oh. Okay. Yeah, so I should hit stop to end this episode. Yeah. Hey guys, hope you liked the episode. Uh, we just wanted to let you know that we appreciate your support and you can support us even more by liking our Facebook page, following us on Instagram, uh, sharing us to all of your friends and making sure they know that they could find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. We would appreciate if y'all rate us and review us on those platforms. And if you want to be a guest on our show or if you want a specific topic to be talked about on our show, feel free to email us on the afterchurchpodcast at gmail.com.